evening, Lake Church. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. I just got back from Chicago. I was out on work, so I came back to fog and wet. I can't believe the weather was better there. <laughs> I've got some announcements. Uh, first one is the 2023 USBs out. Uh, it's $39.99. I believe this is it right here. We've got Cross-Eyed, Hear and Be Healed, Secret World, See That No Man Deceives You, Ephesians, Masterclass, Disclosure, Holy Spirit Experience, Galatians, and Trained Family. So filled with good stuff. You plug it into your radio. You got to get a car new enough to do that, though. <laughs> Unlike me. Uh, the messages are there. Um, just read them to you. You can get that out there at the book sh- bookstore. I believe you pay for that at the coffee shop, right? Yeah. Just grab it off the shelf and go up to the coffee shop, and they'll get you took care of. Uh, we've got a book launch party coming up. Uh, some authors in the house. Uh, that's going to be Sunday, February 11th. Um, the books are Cross-Eyed and Asymmetrical Spiritual Warfare. There's going to be more details to come on that. It's going to be a good time. Also, up coming up, we've got Times of Manifestation. That's going to be, um, let's see, February 11th through the 14th. Uh, so it's a four-night event, 7 p.m., Sunday through Wednesday. This is a believer's meeting with the emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. So it'll be good for us to come do that. Uh, disclosure conference is coming up. That is, I'm going to read this. This is a good description here. Addressing biblical answers to current events and phenomena that characterize the times of the end. Bob Yandian, Pastor Greg, and Pastor Kevin are going to cover prehistory, global headlines, UFO phenomena, and other high strangeness that the Bible predicted. So registration is open now, and cost is $50 a person. So get signed up for that. It'll be good. Um, again, that's February 11th through the 14th at 7 p.m. Okay, moving on to giving. So uh, just remind you of the four ways to give. We've got the envelopes. Those envelopes are in the seat backs. Feel free to use that. Fill out the information, please. That helps the clerical individuals get you took care of. We've got online at lake-church.com. Um, we've got text to give, 84321. You just text the num- number and text the amount, and it's that easy. And then you've got the Church Center app. So um, I'll go ahead and pray for the offering. Um, feel free to join me. Thank you, Lord, for the, the seed that you give us. Lord, you give seed to sowers. I thank you, Lord, clearing up uh, revelations on how to give, why we give, and that you would uh, sanctify our bank accounts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, buckets are in the back. Feel free to do that over there. Introducing Pastor Kevin. All right. Good evening. <clears throat> good evening, Lake Church. Good to see everybody tonight. Um, Before we get into the scripture, of course, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to do a few of the verses there to just kind of launch into chapter 6. But before we do, I wanted to tell you what we got going on here. If you came here tonight, they should have handed you one of these cards with a question mark on it. So something new that we're going to be doing is at the end of our verse-by-verse teaching series on books, we're going to have a Q&A the last night. So... Uh, the last night of our teaching on Galatians, which I'm not sure when that's going to be exactly. <laughs> Trying to get there. But 
take these now and any time tonight, uh, you know, you can write down your question on the card, drop it in the uh, offering bucket back there. That way, because we're not going to be able to address everybody's questions, but we're going to go through them and see if there's like common questions that are popping up. That way we can address those that last night. We'll probably teach for about 30 minutes and then we'll go into a Q&A session. That way, you know, I've always thought about how that, <clears throat> you know, corporate teaching and preaching a lot of times creates more questions than it actually gives answers. Uh, because while we're preaching, you know, you're thinking about what's being said, plus the Holy Spirit's saying stuff to you about what's being said, which is the most important anyway. But a lot of times people have other questions pop up in their mind. And um, in the corporate setting, you really don't get a chance to answer, to ask those. So we wanted to, at the end of these verse-by-verse studies, just give you an opportunity. As we go through the material, you're taking notes. Write down your questions on these cards. Turn them in, and we'll, we'll address those, as many as we can. Because it's, you know, Jesus said it's those who hear and understand who bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some are hundredfold. So it's not just hearing the word that does it. It's actually hearing and understanding the word. Because until you have understanding, you can't apply the word to your life. And only when you apply it does it actually bring about change. So be sure and uh, take advantage of that. That way we can have a good Q&A that last night. Then these cards, we just want to remind you about these. These are on the seat backs. They say praise the Lord on them. These are for praise reports. Um, we just wanted to give you something to be able to, if you have a miracle happen in your life or you get a revelation that just changes the way that you interact with God or something along that line, write that down on here so we can know what's happening in the congregation. And we can pass those things along to everybody else and everybody can celebrate together. Plus, it brings hope to other people. When they see God moving in the lives of someone else, it gives them hope that they can see answers and things in their own life. Okay? So, take advantage of those two things. Of course, here's this, last year's teachings. be great to have to go over in the next coming months. Here you go. So, take advantage of that as well. All right, so we're going to jump in. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. I talked last week a lot about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And um, so I just want to read um, verses 22 and 23 just to remind us again what the fruit of the Spirit is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I like to say that what the fruit of the Spirit is, is actually the nature and character of God produced in our life. Um, The interesting thing about this is it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. It's not us. In fact, what we've been studying is that we don't relate to God legalistically, uh, but relationally. And so through our union with Jesus Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, our um, interaction with God now is not necessarily us living for God, but the Christian life should be God living through us. 
Because the Christian life isn't hard to live. It's impossible to live. (laughs) In fact, a lot of the frustrations that people feel in their life as a believer is due to the fact that we're trying to live for God out of the energy of the flesh rather than by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's futile. You can't do it. The reason God sent the Holy Spirit is because He is the only one who can produce the kind of life that we're called to through us. The power of the Holy Spirit. Not the energy of the flesh. Not me trying hard as hard as I can. But it's through relationship that the Holy Spirit begins to change uh, my nature and character from the inside out. And I talked about last week that we have all these attributes. If you're born again here tonight, you have come into union with Jesus Christ. You're one with Him. You're a new creation. And that new creation man has the divine life and nature and character of God on the inside. So we're not trying to do something. We're trying to yield to the new nature that's already on the inside of us. Okay? And so through identification with who we are now as a new creation, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to produce these characteristics, these fruit in our lives. And so uh, verse 24 gives us a little more insight into how this comes about. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit tonight is um, how do we... What's the process? How do we interact with God in order to be able to see these things begin to manifest in our lives? And verse 24 says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, have crucified in the English is past tense. But in the Greek, it's the aorist, which means it's something that was accomplished and is complete already. Okay, so have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the, the, the sin nature was already crucified. The nature we received being born of Adam was crucified with Christ. Now we still have the nature of sin in the flesh, but the sin nature has been done away with. Now, that may sound like, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, is the sin nature was our identity. It's, we were being, uh, we had a propensity towards sin that we could not deny because it was who we were. Now, we have the nature of the flesh, which is the body and the unrenewed mind. So we can do something about that because now we have the Holy Spirit within. We have a new nature. I'm not fighting against who I am anymore. You see what I'm saying? I have become a new creation. And the more I identify with that, the more I'll begin to live that out in my life organically. That's what fruit is. It's an organic process. A tree doesn't struggle to produce its fruit. It's just part of its nature. Um, 
And so the more we become identified with the new nature, the more organically we begin to produce the life, the nature, and the character of Jesus in our life. Okay? So it's through identification. It's not through my willpower. Okay? (laughs) My willpower doesn't have the ability to produce the life of Jesus. Okay? So it's important to understand that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 tonight. I want to show you this because Paul talks about in Romans, he gives us some clues to how to interact with God and the Holy Spirit in order for us to experience newness of life. So in verse 3, Romans 6 and 3, he says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, let me say this. Most of the time when people see the word baptized, they think of water baptism. So that brings confusion to what he's trying to say because he isn't talking about water baptism here. He's talking about what water baptism represents. See, water baptism doesn't save you. Water baptism is a a rite that we participate in, but it really is an outward manifestation of what has already happened inwardly. There are many baptisms in the Scripture, and one is that we are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when you became a believer in Jesus, you were baptized into his death. Now, the best word for me to understand what he's saying here, instead of saying baptized, is to say identified. Because that's what, bab- that's what baptism is. Uh, water baptism is I'm being, I am identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? I'm identifying with it. To me, that makes so much more sense because baptism has so many connotations to it that can be confusing. So if I read it this way, do you not know that as many of us as were identified in Christ Jesus were identified in his death? See, when Christ died, he didn't die for anything he had done. Because he, he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He was dying, he was identifying with us in our sin and dying so that we could be identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what he says in the, new, in the next verse. He says, therefore, we were buried with him. So if we died with him, the next step is we were buried with him. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Did you, did you notice that it says we should? It doesn't say we automatically will. Okay, we were identified with him in his death, his burial, so that we should walk in newness of life. But newness of life isn't automatic. It's available, but it's not automatic in the life of a believer. Spiritual things don't manifest in our life automatically. They're available. They're not automatic. 
Look at verse 5. For if we were been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. He's just making a point here that it stands to reason if we are identified with Christ in his death, we should also be in his resurrection. Why? Because it followed his death. It was actually the result of his death was that sin and death couldn't hold Christ, so he was raised from the dead by the Father. Okay? But experiencing that in our life is dependent on knowing this. So there's some things you have to know in order to be able to walk in and experience the things that Christ died for us to have. Because the just shall live by faith. So you have to understand, like I said a minute ago, it's those who hear and understand who are able to embrace the realities of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Knowing this, knowing what? That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So here's the good, <laughs> here's the good news. Our old man, which is the old nature that we received being a descendant of Adam, was crucified with Christ. So he was put away. In fact, uh, our old man died, and we received a new man on the inside. And the reason why is so that the body of sin could be done away with, so that we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore. Jesus came to liberate us, not just give us a ticket to heaven, not just so we could be freed from the penalty of sin and the wrath of God, but so that we could be freed from the power and the dominion of sin and death over our lives. So we could not just go to heaven, but that we could experience a taste of heaven on earth so God could get heaven on the inside of us. Jesus said for his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we have to understand, first of all, that our old man is dead so that the body of sin can be done away with. Now, what is he talking about there? When a person dies, they leave behind their body. And, uh, you know, for a period of time, even when a person dies physically, their body can move about. It has, still has impulses and things. In fact, I heard Andrew Womack tell this story one time about a man who worked in a morgue on a high uh, floor in a hospital, way up high. And he was working with this body. And he turned around to do something. When he turned back around, it was sitting up. He said he about jumped out the window of that hospital building. And uh, because the body, even though the person's dead... It still can move around. It can still have impulses and things for a period of time. Well, when we, our old man died, he left behind a body. What? The body of the flesh and the memories in our mind. That's why we have to be renewed in our mind because you were, your mind, you were trained to think a certain way by the old nature. We were taught to have certain attitudes and appetites and emotions, and we were slaves to those things. And even though the nature has been removed, we still retain those things in our soul. 
And so the process of, of getting free of that is the renewing of our mind to the new nature and the new person that we are through Jesus Christ. So that the body of sin could be done away with. So, you know, in the process of growing spiritually, you know, we're all going to struggle. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to fail along the way. And you know what I've always told myself? Whenever I sin or fall short, God forbid, I'll say, that's just the body of sin working its way out of my life. See, the old man just still has some impulses and twitches every now and then. But it doesn't mean he's alive again. He's just working his way out of my life. Man, that's empowering to me. To know that I don't have that nature. That's not who I am. The sum total of who I am is not my actions. But my actions are really the sum total of who I believe I am. Oh man, I think you missed that. The sum total of who I am is not my actions. The sum total of who I am is who I believe I am. Of my actions is who I believe I am. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There's not much wiggle room in that verse. It basically says that your life is exactly the way you believe yourself to be. And the only limitations on our life in Christ is our belief. Come on. Come on. Usually goes over about like that because people don't want to have any response. Are you saying it's my fault? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it, it's a matter of not having. Um, grown and matured in the process, you know, uh, to be able to be manifesting a higher or a greater degree of Christ's life. But we have it in its fullness. I said we have it in its fullness. John chapter 1 says, Of His fullness have we all received in grace upon grace. If you received Him, you didn't receive a piece. He's a person. You received Him. So you have Him, Christ, in His fullness. Let's look at this uh, next verse. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Man, that's that's a truth nugget that you have to get a hold of. Is that I have already been freed from sin. But there's a difference in being freed... And being free. There's a difference between being freed and being free. You know, it's kind of like in the, uh, after the Civil War was fought to emancipate the slaves. And uh, they signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It freed the slaves. They were freed. But did you know many lived on in slavery after that? They were freed, but they weren't actually free in experience. And the reason why is because they didn't know they were freed. Get that? They were freed, but they didn't live free because they didn't know they were freed. And so a lot of the uh, slave owners came... And, you know, maybe the slave said, well, I heard that we've been freed from slavery. He said, well, that's not true, though. You're actually not freed. You're still a slave. Isn't that what the devil does to us? 
He tries to he tries to he tries to deceive us into staying in slavery. Well, you know that's just that's just a principle. It's not actually real. You're still a slave. I can prove it to you. You still have a lot of the same tendencies that you used to used to have. Look at how you treated so and so over here. No, we've been freed from sin. And the more we believe that, the more we'll live free from sin. See, it's a, the key is knowing. And it's not an intellectual knowing. Yeah, too many believers just have an intellectual knowledge of Scripture. We just, we just know what it says. But biblical knowledge isn't intellectual. It's experiential. I don't know something as God intended me to know it until I'm experiencing it or I'm walking in it in my life. And that just means I need to meditate on it longer so that the Holy Spirit can convince me of the reality of it. Oh, man. Listen, this isn't psychobabble. <laughs> this isn't psychobabble. This isn't mind over matter. It's not me trying to... To convince myself of something that isn't real. The word of God is truth. Right? And in the spiritual dimension, everything the Bible says about me in Christ is reality. And the word of God, you know what the word of God does? Is the word of God reveals it to me. And the Holy Spirit then bears witness to it being the truth. And when that happens, faith comes into the heart... And then I can actually live out by faith what the Bible says is true and is true. See, it's not, it, it's not me mind over matter trying to convince myself of something that isn't true. It's me being convinced by the Holy Spirit of what is true regardless of what I'm experiencing in the natural realm. Does that make sense? We have literally died with Christ. I remember years ago in the other auditorium, I did a message called Alive After Death based on this passage of Scripture. And I had, for my graphic, I had a tombstone made, and the date was the same. It was the day I was born again. My death day and my new life day. That was, that was the tombstone. Because I realized... That when I believed on Christ, the old man died and I was raised to newness of life in him. Never to die again. And I left sin and death in the grave. <laughs> and so, if we have died with Christ, we believe then that we shall also live with him. Look at the next verse. Knowing, here's another key. Knowing again, anytime you see this word knowing, it's a truth point. That is, you have to understand what this is saying in order to experience what is available through it. Um, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Christ didn't have to die over and over and over again. He did it one time. That's the key. We have to get the realization that when we died with Christ and we're raised again, it never has to happen again. It's complete. It's finished. It's a perfect work. 
That's why Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Because there's nothing else left for him to do. His work was perfect, it is finished, and it is complete. And we respond by faith to what he has already accomplished. Oh. Listen, too many of us have this idea that, that we need God to do something. Hmm. I remember I used to think that, is I needed God to do something. When I finally got the revelation that he already did everything. He's already done everything that I need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. Look at this. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, here's the final key, verse 11. Likewise, you also. Here's the identification. Now, you have to grab a hold of this. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, I don't have to die to sin. I'm dead to sin. Mm, I know you've heard that before. No, it, does, it says mortify the deeds of the body. It doesn't say die to sin over and over again. You are to reckon yourselves dead. Oh, man. That word reckon is the word logazamai, and it means to take a detailed account and come to the conclusion that you are dead to sin. And alive to God. Listen, the gospel, the power of the gospel is not in me meeting all the right conditions. If it was, I'm not there yet. (laughs) I would dare say that if the power of the gospel is released in your life by you meeting all the right conditions, I would say you're not there yet. I know I'm not. But the power of the gospel is released in my life by me coming to the right conclusions. Oh, man. See, if it's meeting the right conditions, it's all about me. If it's coming to the right conclusions, it's all about him. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We've already looked at this verse in the past, but he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I tell you, Paul had an incredible revelation of his identification with Christ. So much so that he said, I have been crucified with him. Yet I'm living. Look at this. But not me. Oh, come on. Not me. It's Christ who is living in me and through me now. And the life I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. That's really the key. Is that I become so identified with Christ that I realize that I'm dead to sin. Dead. You know, you you can't tempt a dead man. (laughs) 
And I identify with the fact that I died with him and I was raised with him and now he is my identity. He's my reality. And the more convinced I get of that, the more organically I'm going to experience his life. Okay? Paul was so identified with Christ that he could say with total conviction, I have been crucified, yet I live. Yet it's not even me. (laughs) Man, hallelujah, that's what we need. That's what we need. We need to be able to say, it's not me anymore, it's him living through me. I mean, there is the victory of the Christian life. If we could ever quit trying to do it ourselves and learn to yield to the life, yield to the power, yield to the anointing, yield to the Spirit of God that's on the inside of us, we could have overcoming, victorious life, more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And he did that so that we could experience that overcoming life. Oh, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin and death, which is all the negative effects that sin brought into the human experience. Man, sickness, disease, addiction, disorders, fears, anxiety, all of those things that plague and oppress mankind are included in the word death. Jesus freed us. From the dominion of sin and death. For he died once and was raised to new life. And no longer does he ever have to die again. Why it was complete and finished all in one work. And he did that for all. So that everybody who believes and everybody who identifies with his death. Can now also walk in newness of life. Mm. Man. And be really liberated from ourself. Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. is my ability to put away the self-life and take on the Christ life. For the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the attributes or the characteristics that are needed for us to live in unity with other believers. So that Christ can be manifested in greater measure through our uh, corporate expression in the earth. Really, this is what uh, it's all about, is creating unity within the church. Well, I thought that I needed to live, you know, my life so that God would be happy with me. It's really about creating unity. You want me to prove it to you? Look at this. Um, Let me go back here to Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, to live in the Spirit is talking about someone who's been born again. If you are born again, you live in the Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit would come, you would know that He's in the Father, uh, that we are in Him and He is in us. We live in the Spirit of God. Um, But we need to learn to walk in that. We need to learn to walk in the Spirit. And He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This, this phrase, one another, 
is one of the great keys, I believe. In fact, from Galatians 5.13 to Galatians 6.2, he uses this phrase six times. So he's trying to show us that the key to walking by the Spirit is to serve one another through love. That's what he says in verse 13. Did you know that this phrase is so important? It's two words in the English, one another, but in the Greek it's one word, and it appears in the New Testament 100 times. You know what that tells me? (laughs) That 100 times we are given commands in the New Testament that we cannot feel, fulfill outside of an interdependent, interconnected relationship in the community of the believers. Mm. Man. See, the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is not just so we can just be good people out there. What the purpose truly is, is so that we can function together within the community of the church. So that we can come into unity. So that we can be a, a, an accurate expression of God in a many-membered body. Man. And it requires those things. Because it's hard to get a couple of people in unity. <laughs> and the more people you add to it... <laughs> The more personalities, the more opinions, the more ideas, uh, the harder it gets. And so, you know, it's really about creating the culture and atmosphere that is conducive to unity. So that we can all one another function together in the body of Christ. And that's, to me, that is so awesome because... It takes it from me just trying to uh, religiously please God, but there's a purpose behind it. Does that make sense? There's a purpose behind it. See, spiritual maturity is not about me trying to promote my ministry. Spiritual maturity isn't the gifts of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And God wants to be accurately represented in the administration of His power. See what I'm saying? That we have the right nature and character that goes hand in hand with the administration of the power of God. That we actually accurately accurately represent Him. Because you can go after the things of God and be immature and not accurately represent Him. We can have selfish ambitions and things that are attached to what we're trying to do. Boy, it's getting quiet in here. I I sense it. I hear you. It's all right. (laughs) So we're really getting into the practical application of everything that we've learned. So we're not under the law, per se. But God's intent is that we manifest the nature and character of God so that we can actually function together as a body. Look at this in Galatians 6 and verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, 
lest you also be tempted. See, when he talks about being spiritual, he talks about being mature. Okay? So it requires a mature person to restore someone. An immature person, spiritually, someone who's, say, religious, legalistic, they don't tend to lift people up. They tend to look down. So that's why it requires being uh, spiritual so that we don't look down on those who fall, but that we lift up those who fall. Because God's, God's heart is restoration. In fact, this word for uh, being overtaken in any trespass means someone who falls along the way side. And if we are spiritual, if we're operating in the nature of love and those types of things, the nature and character, then we're going to stop to bend down and lift that person up in gentleness and restore that person to their place and usefulness in the body. You know, it's been said before, the church is the only organization that kills the wounded. You know, well, we're called to restore those who've fallen. And listen to what he says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know what really empowers you to act that way toward another believer? Is when you recognize your own weakness. So when we consider our own weakness, we never are haughty or prideful thinking, well, that could never happen to me. You know, I've arrived. <laughs> you know, how could, they, you know, you get that. How could they do that? Well, you know, the greatest people in the Bible all were people who fell at one time. You know, David was a man that God called after his own heart. And look at the failures that he had in his life. I got, good for, I got good news for you. God uses failures. <laughs> you know, we got to have the right attitude. We have to recognize our own. See, listen, I know the Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong, but it's strong in him. We have to realize in ourselves we're weak. Even Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I would rather boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, it's recognizing our weakness that actually causes us to be dependent on his strength. Man, but legalism, religious thinking, it fosters a comparison and a a a comparative and a competitive spirit in people. One who, um, well, you know, we wouldn't say it this way, but, you know, sometimes people kind of like to see people fall because it makes them feel better about themselves. You know, man. Now, you're going to have to say this. Say, I love Pastor Kevin. I need to hear that right now. <laughs> this ain't coming out the way I planned it. <laughs> but when we consider ourselves, then we realize that none of us are past falling. And it, it gives us the ability to be sympathetic toward those who may fall 
And then when we have that sympathetic attitude, we're ready to lean down and pick somebody back up and help them get restored to their rightful place. Why? Because we realize we need them. We need them. We are not self-sufficient. We are dependent on the other parts of the body being in their place and doing what they're called to do. Because none of us are able to do it on our own. You know, what this says, um, overtaken in any trespass, it really is talking about a bone out of joint. When you really study it out, it's talking about having a bone out of joint. Now listen, your bone is, you're never broken. But you can be out of joint. You know, even Jesus, not a bone of his was broken on the cross. But in Psalm 22, he said, all my bones are out of joint. That's the way it is with the body. We may fall along the wayside. We may be out of joint. We may be, you know, dislocated. But we're never broken beyond repair. And what, what this is talking about restoring is to set that bone back in its place. That dislocated part to put it back the way that it's supposed to be. That requires love. It requires thinking about people in a sympathetic kind of way. Which Jesus, this is something I've been meditating on this week because I'm getting ready to teach Hebrews in uh, Train Bible College. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says because Jesus became a human being, he's able to be a sympathetic high priest. So when we're sympathetic toward people in their fallings, we're acting in the character of Christ. You know, it's, it's so amazing, I've been thinking about that to me, that God, because he became a human being, he is, a, he is touched by the feelings of our infirmity. Pastor and I were talking about this, and it's just becoming so uh, alive in me that God is able to be so much more merciful than we ever believed that he could be. And having become a man in the person of Jesus Christ, he knows the weakness of our flesh. Listen, you don't think he knows the weakness of our flesh and that we have a devil that we're dealing with in a kingdom of darkness and an enemy that's against us. God is not as quick to judge people as we've been told or we've thought. He's a sympathetic and faithful high priest. Why? Because he took on flesh and blood and became one of us. And he was tempted in all ways as we are. But he didn't have the sin nature, so he never sinned. But he knows what it's like to be tempted. He's a sympathetic. If we want to represent him right, we have to have that same heart of sympathy to come to people in their worst places and lift them up and remind them of who they are. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he corrected the churches, he always corrected them back to who they really were in Christ. Man, whenever he was confronting the Corinthian church about sexual immorality, you know what he said? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He didn't say, you vile sinner. <laughs> well, you've, you've lost your salvation. No, he said, don't you realize? Have you forgotten who you are? Well, your body is actually the temple of the Holy Ghost who lives on the inside of you. 
who you've received from God, and now your body's not even your own. He purchased you out of the slave market with his own blood, and you belong to him now. He reminded them of the spiritual realities of their oneness with Christ. And that brings that, that actually lifts people. I don't know about you, but whenever I say those things, my spirit is buoyed. It's lifted up. And I'm, I'm encouraged that I can live on that level when I'm reminded of that. If somebody come along and say, well, you vile thing, I can't believe you did that. Look at you, you filthy, rotten sinner. <laughs> I'd be beat down. I wouldn't be too lifted up. Because I'm already suffering with the wages of sin. I'm already beating myself up over my failure. I don't need more beating over the head. I need more lifting up. (laughs) So that's what it takes is for us to have the right heart. And this is what, you know, um, this is how we walk in the Spirit. Remember I said it's not by trying not to sin. It's by focusing on what we can do. It's identifying with Christ. When we, when we walk in the Spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But how many people are trying to mess with their you know, sin ball? They're trying to make it smaller. And they're so focused on that. You know, when somebody falls, hey, I ain't got time for that right now. I'm trying to get this right. It makes you so self-focused that you don't have any time for anybody else. See, it's not focusing on what we can't do. It's focusing on what we can do that causes us to walk in the Spirit. Let me go down to verse 2. He says in verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For all those people who were wanting to fulfill the law, here he said, here you go. Here's how you can do it. Fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. Now he uses, here in a few verses, he says that we bear our own burdens. So it almost sounds like a contradiction, but he uses two different words. The word for burden here means a load that's too big for you to carry alone. So, sometimes we experience things in life, circumstances, sufferings, that are too big for us to carry on our own. We were never meant, we were never created to carry those things. They came as a result of the fall. So, as the body of Christ and, and being connected and loving one another, we're quick to come in and bear the burdens of someone who's suffering under circumstances that are too big for them. And when we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're helping them carry what they can't carry by themselves. He says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. He's talking about in ourselves. He's not contradicting, you know, the scriptures that say you're more than a conqueror, you're an overcomer. He's saying in ourselves, we have to realize that uh, we're really nothing. I mean, Paul said, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh except for Christ. So we have to have an accurate, you know, perception that the only thing good in us is Christ. But boy, that's a lot. (laughs) Um, And that's what, you know, Paul says in Philippians. He said, if there's any 
consolation in Christ, any comfort of his love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. That was a work of the flesh we looked at last week. Or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Jesus gave giving kingdom principles, said the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. So the way we go higher in the kingdom is not trying to go higher. It's by going lower. I don't know. I have so many things I'm thinking about right now. Come on. Um, I'm trying not to be critical, but, you know, we've almost taken, I say we, I'm just talking about the church global, you know, or just the overall you know, in the modern church, there's this uh, pursuit of achievement that is, you know, it's good to fulfill the vision of God, but it can be taken to an extreme where it becomes about us. Okay. You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to communicate this in the right way. You know, we talk about promotion. I remember that was a buzzword in the body of Christ several years ago. Everybody's wanting to be promoted. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> that has a, I mean, you know, you can get off into error over that. Like, I'm trying to pursue some achievement of promotion when really it's service. Listen, if you're serving out of love, there, it's kind of like a beach ball in a, in a swimming pool. You push it down to the bottom, it's coming back to the top. See what I'm saying? If we are operating in the nature and the character of Christ, then we are spiritually mature. Then we're a, God is able to trust us with the responsibility of ministry in people's lives or leadership. Because really, when people think about promotion, a lot of times they're thinking about <laughs> they're thinking about being in a position. Let me say, do you know what a position is? More responsibility. That's all that is, and so it's really about having the maturity to lead people well. That's why if we would just pursue love and desire gifts as a secondary, then we would have the nature and character for God to just put us anywhere he wants us to be. Hmm. But, you know, you could have a conference and you could have two breakout sessions, one on the gifts of the Spirit, one on the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit is going to be full and the fruit of the Spirit is going to be empty. <laughs> why? Because... It's not as, uh, you know, it's, it's not as enticing. <laughs> okay. I get it. I'll, I'll move on. Galatians 6, 4. 
But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one will bear his own load. So this word here is talking about not only are there burdens that we can't carry alone, we all have a load that we have to carry alone. So we are all going, this, you know, he says in the verse before, let me go back to it. Examine his own work. See, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we do, uh, we are not going to be judged. We are not judged. The judgment seat of Christ, our work is judged. Listen, I was already judged in Christ. I was judged guilty. That's why I was put to death. I was judged righteous. That's why I was raised to life. So I've already gone through the judgment. Why? Because Jesus was judged for me. And I identify with him in the judgment. I die and I'm raised to newness of life. I'm justified. I'm declared righteous and raised from the dead to newness of life. But we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment of our work. That's why we should examine our work. And, and what I mean by that is our motives for what we do. Because that's what determines your work. Let me, look at, let me, let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, to me, is the best explanation of what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this isn't the judgment for unbelievers. This is the judgment for believers. And the judgment seat of Christ is the, in the Greek, it is the Bema seat. Now, the Bema seat was a seat that was uh, a part of Olympic Games. So once they competed in the Olympic Games, they would come to the podium. And the Bema seat was where the judge sat and gave out the rewards. So see what the picture is? When we stand before Christ, we're not being judged for our sins. We were ju- our sins were judged in Christ. We're being judged for what we did with it. And rewarded accordingly. Okay? And, and here's the thing. The reward is going to determine what we do in the kingdom of God in the future. And it's really for us to give glory to Christ because none of us accomplish that from our own strength. This is going to be the result of what the Holy Spirit did through our lives. But he says this, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another builds on it. Okay, so the foundation is Jesus Christ. In fact, he goes on to say that in the next verse. But we all are building on that foundation. He says, but let each one of you take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid. Get that? It's already laid. The foundation of Jesus Christ is already laid. And that is what we build on. um, Which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, 
precious stones, um, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work, get that, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And there's some key stuff right here. Did you know one, the first thing I think of is that our works, whether or not they are gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, have to be revealed by fire because they're not apparent to the eye. You could have the same action done by two different people and one be gold, silver, and precious stones. The other be wood, hay, and stubble. Because it's connected to where that's coming from. In fact, I'll say this. Tithing uh, was a part of the law. And Jesus, um, in his parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, remember that? The Pharisee said, I pay tithes and fast. And did you know Jesus didn't commend him? He condemned him. Hmm. That means you can do the right things with the wrong heart. And so our work has got to be revealed by fire. Because it's not apparent by just the action. It's what's behind it. It's what's motivating it. It's where it's coming from. Is it coming from your flesh or is it coming from the Spirit? So if you're legalistic and you're doing things out of duty and obligation or to make yourself look better or to compete or compare or any of those things, you can be doing all the right things and have a big bonfire one day. Let me say this to kind of encourage you. We are all, every one of us, going to have some wood, hay, and stubble. <laughs> now, I can't say we're all going to have gold, silver, and precious stones because that is not necessary. Well, we will all have some wood, hay, and stubble, though, I'll say that. Um, but the fire is going to test what sort of work it is. And, you know, the, the, the New Testament reveals four different works. And I, I'm running out of time, so I'm not having to go into this in detail. But you have works of the flesh, works of the law. You have dead works and good works. Interesting. Four types. Only one is gold, silver, and precious stones. Jesus' parable of the sower, there were three types of soil. Only one produced fruit. Some 30, 60, 100 fold. So it's important that we understand What is the difference? Well, we can automatically know works of the law is not gold, silver, and precious stones. For no man will be justified by works of the law. Works of the flesh are not included. Okay, so you get down to dead works and good works. Am I boring y'all with this? (laughs) Dead works, I know I have it here are things that we do to present to God to try and earn favor from Him. It's a part of relating to God legally rather than relationally. And did you know that we are, that, is, that is one of the foundational truths of Christ is that we're to repent of that 
and put faith in God? Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, which means maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So he doesn't say repentance from sin. He's saying we have to repent of trying to justify ourselves by our works and turn and have faith in God rather than faith in ourselves. That is an elementary principle of Christ. In fact, look at Hebrews 9, 13. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, get this, cleanse your conscience, from dead works to serve the living God. It's the conscience, the guilty conscience that hasn't been sanctified by understanding the full benefit of the blood of Jesus that causes us to still try and do things and present it to God as a way of justifying ourselves and earning from God. Those dead works are wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble are dead. Those things we try to present to God as a way of trying to earn His favor or trying to justify ourselves are going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. Thank God they're going to be. They're not going with us into the next age. Listen, this is a time to rejoice. Thank God those things are going to be burned up. They're not going to be held against us. They're going to be burned up. And the things that are left, the good works. See, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 uh, says that we, he prepared good works for us. Now, good works are the things that we do from faith and love. Not motivated by duty, obligation, fear, but out of faith and love as a response to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. By grace, through faith, we produce good works. And those remain as gold and silver and precious stones. And what remains will be given to us as a reward. Now he goes on and he says that, uh, you know, some may even have it all burned up. But they themselves will be saved. See, it's not the judgment of you, it's the judgment of your works. This should encourage us... (laughs) Let me go back. Let me, let me go back there real quick and finish this up. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, see, only gold, silver, or precious stones will endure fire. He will receive a reward. This is a judgment seat of Christ for rewards. It's amazing to me that God redeemed us from sin and death, that he comes into our life by his Spirit, begins to bring us to a place of maturity so that he can live through us and accomplish things through us we could never do. And then he's going to reward us after the fact in the age to come. Man, that is amazing. He says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So, 
Let me try to bring this to a close. The reason Paul was so bothered by them getting into legalism is because legalism causes you to live by the flesh. And the flesh produces wood, hay, and stubble. It inspires a sin consciousness, a guilty consciousness, which causes us to try to produce dead works that have no eternal value to them whatsoever. It's not functioning the way that God redeemed us to function. So the good thing is, is that we can turn from that. We can repent of dead works and have faith toward God. This is something that is an elementary principle, but how many people have actually heard that before? In that way, to where you go, I have to forsake my own works so that I can truly put faith in Christ and that he can produce through me things of eternal value that come from the right motivation. Listen, I said you cannot serve out of love until you know you're truly free. You have to get rid of all obligation. I know people struggle with that. If God wanted us to just do, he could have made us automatons. That's not what he wanted. Love by choice is what he's looking for. Love by choice. Love that is a response to his love for us. That's the only place it can truly come from. We love, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. That is, the, that, that is it. That's where it comes from. The more revelation we have of the love of God to us, the more we will abide in the love of God within us, the more we will be able to operate in the love of God through us. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just stand as we close this service out. Father God, we thank you for your word. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father God, that your word is truth. I thank you, Father God, that your word is renewing our minds, changing our perception, aligning us with your spirit, Father God, so that we can produce lasting, eternal gold, silver, and precious stones. That you're conforming us into the image of your Son, causing us to walk in newness of life. I thank you, Father God, that spirituality is not sensationalism or emotionalism, but it comes through revelation of your Word, renewing us in the spirit of our minds where we begin to believe and live out of our union with Jesus Christ. That through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have been freed from sin and death. We have been freed from being slaves to sin. We have been freed from ourself. We're freed from the flesh to live, Father God. And in him we live and we move 
and we have our being, Father God. I thank you that you are faithful to complete that which you've begun in us as we continue to trust in you, Father God. We thank you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father God, that because of the finished work of Jesus, we have access to your life. We have access to your power. We have access and intimacy with you, Father God, that whatever people are facing in their life tonight, Father God, you are not saying no, you are saying yes. You said yes in Christ Jesus. That all of your promises are yes in him. And amen in us who believe. So we thank you, Father God. I just pray a blessing over your people tonight. I speak healing, deliverance, wholeness, rest, confidence, boldness, assurance. In the name of Jesus over your people, Father God. Hallelujah. 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 Confidence. Confidence. Confidence in you and them. Godfidence. Confidence in you, in them, Father God, in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise for it. We thank you for your word working in us, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We give you praise. You are worthy, Father God. You are worthy. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise in our lives, Father. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, as we close, just want to remind you we'll have ministers up here. If you have something you want to come and agree in prayer about, If you've never received Jesus, you've never received the Holy Spirit, be sure and come and see one of our ministers. We'd love to pray with you tonight. And don't forget, we're going to continue uh, Pastor's series on Imager this Sunday. So be sure and be with us. God bless you. You're dismissed.